Well, good morning. Great to be back here. And uh, just before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for praying for our church and uh, thank you for praying for the student ministry. Uh, it is really amazing that there's so much exciting work that God is doing uh, of all the places in the world here in the United Arab Emirates. It's a great time to be a Christian living here uh, and seeing what God is doing maybe for the first time in history in this place and to be a part of that. Um, so I'm very excited for my wife and our baby to be here. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but one of the most memorable uh, times in my life is um, the day when uh, our baby was born. Uh, her name is Amelia. She's back there. She's about 18 months old right now. But I'll never forget the day when she was born. I was filled with so much love when I saw her, much more than I expected. I knew many, many fathers who had told me about uh, how when they saw their baby, they were just filled with love, and I was prepared for that, but um, this was much more than I expected. But at the same time, I was also struck with the um, sense that I was now responsible for teaching her everything about the world. And uh, so I thought, where would I start? So um, what happened when she was born, uh, she was taken to the nursery, and uh, it was just me in the nursery with her, uh, you know, the first four hours right after she was born. Uh, even her mother did not get to see her. But as um, we were experiencing this daddy-daughter bonding moment, I uh, thought that the most important thing that I can ever give her, I can ever teach her, is the good news of Jesus, the message that Jesus has died to save sinners. And so I proceeded to explain to her uh, the gospel of Jesus sitting in that nursery room, um, and uh, she was just a few hours uh, born. Uh, I'm sure she didn't understand anything I said, uh, but nevertheless, it was good for my heart. Uh, it was a good reminder for me that the most important thing that I will ever teach her, and uh, this is worth uh, repeating over and over again in her life, is the gospel of Jesus. You know, in the letter that we are about to look at this morning, 1 Corinthians, Paul feels the same about these people that he is writing to. They are like his children. He loves them so much. And uh, we will see that the most important thing that Paul wants to communicate to people that are his children is the good news of Jesus, the gospel, which is the foundation of everything that they believe, everything that he teaches them. Well, will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will read verses 1 to 11. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, 
most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. There are three points for the sermon. If you are taking down notes, this will be helpful for you. The three points of my sermon this morning uh, are, number one, we will see the value of the gospel. You'll, we'll we'll uh, see that in verses one and two, value of the gospel. Number two, we'll see the heart of the gospel. That is from verses three to eight. And number three, we will see the power of the gospel, 9 to 11. Value of the gospel, heart of the gospel, and the power of the gospel. Well, let's consider the first point, verses 1 and 2. Notice how Paul starts this section. So he's talked for a while. He's, um, he's written about many things. But here, Paul starts this section by telling them that he wants to remind them of the gospel that he had preached to them. Now, there are many encouraging things that we see about the church in Corinth, even from these few verses. Paul was the one who founded this church, and it is encouraging to read that they received the, the gospel message when Paul preached that to them. Even though Paul loved this church, he had founded this church, he knew this church really well, he had concerns for them. In fact, if you read um, the rest of the chapters, in uh, this book, you will see that this church had issues, serious issues, and Paul has addressed these concerns at length. But as we come to this chapter, we see that maybe there is another concern, a, a more important concern that Paul has for this church that he has founded. And the fact that he's reminding them of the gospel gives us a clue to what this concern is that Paul has for them. It looks like the Corinthian church was slowly forgetting the gospel that they received from Paul. You know, even though they started well and they were taking their stand on the gospel, we are told here, there is a possibility that they might not continue in the holding fast to the gospel that Paul preached to them. So Paul says in verse 2 that if they don't hold fast to the gospel, then they have believed in vain. In other words, if they don't continue the way they have started, then it means that they have never really believed in the first place. Then it means that all this is for nothing. And friends, this is an important warning to the Corinthian church, but it's also a good warning for everyone that is reading this letter, including us this morning. If we have made a profession of faith at one time in our life, no matter how much we meant it or how strongly we felt about it, if that faith in Christ does not continue till the very end of our lives, then it means that we are not saved. Because saving faith is a faith that continues to hold on to Jesus till the very end. 
Saving faith is faith that endures. It perseveres till the very end. And so, friends, we need to hold fast to the truth of the gospel, really believe it till the very end, or it is all for nothing. Friends, we only hold on to something tightly when we feel that it is valuable, isn't it? So if we are straying away from the gospel, it is maybe because we have forgotten the gospel. Or maybe it is because we have forgotten what the gospel is doing in our lives, even as Christians. He says in verse 2 that they are being saved by the gospel that they received. Have you ever been asked this question? If your home was to go up in flames, what would you run back to rescue or save? Whatever it is, it is something that is the most valuable thing in your life for you to risk your life to save. So many people would run back into their home to rescue their kids uh, or their pets or gold or their passports. Whatever it is, it is worth risking your life for. It is the most valuable thing in your life. The gospel is not a tangible thing, but it is worth asking ourselves, is it the most valuable thing in our life right now? You know, when we value our spouses, we work hard to stay loyal. When we value our kids, we work hard to love them and care for them. When we value the gospel, we will work hard to keep our hearts fixed on it, to make sure that we are continually believing in it, to make sure that we are never straying away from it. If you are listening to me this morning saying these things, Maybe you are here and maybe you are feeling, yeah, I don't really value the gospel. And, and maybe I'm not sure if I believe it anymore. Well, friend, the first thing I want to tell you is don't keep that to yourself. But make sure to share that with other brothers and sisters in Christ who can watch out for you. But also I want to say, I want to encourage you to heed the warnings that we see in this chapter carefully. You know, it's God's mercy that he has given warnings like this in Scripture. It is by listening to warnings that we are kept in faith. If we listen to these warnings and pay attention to them, we will be saved. Or perhaps you are here this morning and you're thinking, nope, that's not me. I'm never going to stray away from the gospel. That's not going to happen to me. Well, I, I want to say, if your confidence is in God, then well done. But I want to caution you against trusting in yourself. Because as sinful human beings, our hearts are prone to wandering. We, we naturally, because of our sinful nature, want to stray away from the truth of the gospel. You know, Jesus, in teaching his disciples, told them about the parable of the sower. And in that parable, Jesus warns about some people who start well there is great joy, there's excitement when they start, but when persecution and trial uh, hit their life, or when the riches of the world tempt, they fall away, even though they have started well. We are all prone to drifting away from the truth of the gospel. That is why we have to watch our life and our doctrine closely. 
And I'm not sure if you see this here, but um, have you ever noticed on the seaside those little boats that are tied to the docks? And they are tied to the docks uh, always. Even on the calmest days, when there is no wind or wave in sight, they are still tied up. Do you know why? Because even on those days, if you leave your boats untied for a few hours, you might come back and likely find it halfway out to the sea. The waves may not have pulled it forcefully, but slowly, sneakily, the waves would have pulled it till the boat is completely lost out of sight. You know, that is what it's like for someone who professes to follow Christ to drift away. You know, it's gradual. It's um, almost unnoticeable to others at first. Until eventually, like that little boat, the one who professed to follow Christ is far away and is lost. You know, that is why even those of us in this room who consider ourselves to be mature Christians must check our hearts daily and ask this question, am I holding on to the truth of the gospel today? Today. Do I believe it with all my heart today? You know, like that little boat, we must make sure that our hearts are tied to the truths of the gospel daily. You know, just by the way, that is why it is so helpful for us to be part of a good church like this. So that we can make sure that we are part of a community where other brothers and sisters in Christ will watch out for us, that we are not drifting away. Or when we drift away, they are pulling us back. They are warning us. And I just want to say, for those of you who are members here, uh, it is wonderful that you have a church like this that you can be part of. Let me encourage you to invest in the relationships here. And when you meet with other brothers and sisters, encourage others by asking this question. Are you holding on to the truth of the gospel today? Not when you were 17, not even yesterday, but today. Because this is how we can love and care for one another. You know, the only way we will make it to the finish line is together, by spurring one another on. So let me encourage you, Grace Church, hold fast to the truth of the gospel that you have received. Now, we have talked a lot about the gospel. Now, let us consider what this gospel is. And secondly, let's consider the heart of the gospel in verses 3 to 8. Notice how Paul talks about the gospel to the Corinthians. We learn that the, the way Paul delivered the gospel to the Corinthians is as of first importance. Imagine getting a letter that is marked important, urgent. Would you treat it like every other mail that you receive? No. You'd read it urgently. You'd pay careful attention to it. That is what Paul says, is saying about how he has delivered the gospel to them. Paul has taught them many things, but the gospel is what is of first importance, the most important. You know, even in this book, he has talked about many things. In fact, the chapters before this, he has just been talking about spiritual gifts in the church. Those are important things, but only the gospel is what is most important. So it's worth paying attention to. And even now, as we hear Paul explaining the gospel again to the Corinthians, let's make sure that we are paying attention to it as the most important thing we will ever hear in our lives. 
there are four aspects of the gospel that Paul mentions to the Corinthians. In verses 3 to 8, he says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, and he appeared to many witnesses. Notice what it does not say. It does not say anything about what we have done. It does not say anything about what we will do. No, the gospel is the good news about how sinners are reconciled with the holy God completely based on Christ's work. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the work that he has done, specifically his work in his death and resurrection. Paul, in addition to talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, notice he also talks about his burial and his appearance. Why does he talk about burial and appearance? You know, both of those things prove something. Jesus' burial proves that Jesus died. Jesus really died. And his appearance to many witnesses, Paul spends much time talking about this, proves that Jesus really rose from the dead. Notice how much proof we have for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, it would have been an unbelievable fact if it weren't for how much evidence we have for the resurrection of Jesus. Look at the number of witnesses there is to the, to the resurrection of Jesus. And the Corinthians could have easily checked because many of these people would have been alive during the time that Paul was writing it. You know, how merciful of God, isn't it, that we have so much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus so we know with certainty that what we believe is true. You know, in Luke's gospel, Luke is a noted, Luke, a noted historian, actually writes the gospel of Luke by interviewing these witnesses, these eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And he tells us one of the things that Jesus did after his resurrection was he appeared to his disciples and he made them touch his hands and his feet so that they could make sure that he was real flesh and bones. They did that and they marveled that Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus also ate a piece of broiled fish with them to prove that he had risen from the dead. You know, if the resurrection was a lie, the eyewitnesses would not have risked their lives for it. I mean, it's understandable. If they had gained reputation or social status or money by talking about this, but no. The people who talked about this were beaten. They were stoned to death, thrown to lions, tortured, crucified for believing and proclaiming this truth. And the resurrection could certainly, certainly not have been a dream because there were so many people that spoke of seeing the risen Jesus. Imagine if you were in a courtroom and you were one of the juries. Uh, and deciding whether or not the resurrection was true based on evidence, what would your verdict be? You would have at least 500 eyewitnesses saying the same thing one after the other. In fact, if the resurrection was not true, it would have been disproved immediately. You know, the whole Christian movement would have died before it even began. If you wanted to start a worldwide movement. Don't base it on something like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It won't work unless it is true. 
It doesn't matter if it's an unpopular opinion. If you have seen the Son of God crucified, buried, risen from the dead, walking, talking, eating with you, then wouldn't you give your life defending that truth? That's what the disciples did. You know, there is more proof for the resurrection of Jesus than anything else that happened during this time in history. As one author puts it, to deny the resurrection of Jesus is to stop doing history and to enter into a world of fantasy of our own making. Friends, if the resurrection is true, and it is, then the implications are many. It means that Jesus died for our sins. It means that Jesus actually paid the penalty that we deserve for our sins. God's judgment was being stored up because we had rebelled against God. But Jesus took it upon himself on, his, on the cross when he died. He bore the burden of all the sins of everyone that would put their faith and trust in him on the cross. His sacrifice was sufficient to satisfy God's justice. The God-man defeated death, proved that his death was enough for the forgiveness of sins, that there is now nothing left to be done for men and women all over the world to be saved. How do we know this is true? It is because Jesus made these claims, he died, and he rose from the dead. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus gives us immeasurable hope, gives lost sinners immeasurable hope. If we trust in Christ and repent of our sin, we are freed from the penalty and guilt of sin, and we need not fear death anymore. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news. Can you think of anything else better that sinners who are lost because of their sins can hear? There is nothing else better. I just want to speak to those of you who might be here who don't believe in the gospel. I'm not sure what your objection is, but I hope you see that there is plenty of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then it is true that his death is enough to pay for your sin if you trust in him. You know, in the world today, it is fashionable to reject the resurrection, to mock Jesus and his resurrection. But you know, in the world to come, only those who have trusted in Jesus will be saved, will spend eternity with him. And that's what ultimately matters. So honestly consider these claims for yourself. And I pray that you will hear the invitation of God to come to Jesus in faith and repentance. The resurrection of Jesus also means that all of the scriptures are true. Notice Paul says in verse 3 and 4 that Jesus' death and resurrection was according to scriptures. You know, of all that the Bible talks about, the most unbelievable thing, the greatest miracle recorded in it is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we know if that is true, then we can believe that everything else that the scriptures talk about is true as well. Have you ever read um, a series of books by the same author? Uh, maybe the Chronicles of Narnia, or the Lord of the Rings, or Harry Potter. You know, when you get to the second or third or maybe the last book, 
you see things in, in the book that have been clues from the very beginning that point to something else. You'll see themes that are running throughout these books. And oftentimes they are pointing you to a climax that is about to happen. And oftentimes the climax is a heroic battle scene that happens at the end. You know, the Bible is written like that. It is written over thousands of years, many books, but really written by one author, written by God. But they all point to one important event in history, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But the clues are sprinkled throughout the scriptures. And if you read carefully, you will see how all of scripture is pointing to Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection. You know, one of the other things that Luke uh, tells us at the end of his gospel, Luke chapter 24, verses 26 and 27, he, uh, after his resurrection, appears to two of his disciples who are uh, um, uh, disheartened because their Messiah has died, but he appears to them and he opens up their, their eyes to see that all of Scripture, everything that Moses and the prophets talked about, was pointing to Jesus, and in particular, his death and his glory. And so, friends, all of Scripture we need to know points to Christ, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many of these eyewitnesses that we read about in 1 Corinthians were the ones who wrote the New Testament. So they are all pointing to this. So when we read scripture, we should work hard to search and see how they all are pointing to Jesus. Jesus' resurrection also means that those who put their faith in Christ will also rise from the dead. Notice how he talks about those who have died in verse 6. He describes them as fallen asleep. You know, that is because death is not the final state for the lives of believers. And that is because Jesus has rescued them from eternal death. You know, the Bible usually talks about those who have died and are awaiting resurrection by Jesus as being in a state of sleep. So if we go to John's gospel, there is an amazing passage in John chapter 11 where Jesus raises one of his close friends from the dead. His name is Lazarus. And when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead, this is what he says about him in verse 11 of chapter 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And then Jesus proceeded to raise him from the dead, even though he, has been dead. he had been dead for four days. Now, Lazarus did die again. And the point of that miracle wasn't just to say that Jesus can extend life for a few more years, but it is to point to a greater reality. So Jesus teaches, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. You see, friends, because Jesus has risen from the dead, Christians can be confident that they will rise from the dead as well. And they will rise to a new life, to restored bodies, and it is like as if they had just been fallen asleep. Can you imagine what raising Lazarus from the dead would have been to all those people that watched Lazarus come out of the cave when Jesus called him? Now imagine what it will be like on that day when Jesus calls all those who have put their faith and trust in him who have died. 
Christians throughout the centuries, Christians all over the world, when they will rise from the dead to everlasting life with Christ. It'll be an amazing sight. You know, we had a close friend. Her name is Bronwyn Chin. She suffered for years with a terrible form of pancreatic cancer. And we saw her body wasted away to nothing. And she was cut to shreds with numerous surgeries. Her suffering was terrible. But death, she looked forward to death with joy. For her death was a sweet release from all the suffering of this world. She knew what awaited her were wonders because Christ has secured her future after death for her. She fixed her eyes on Jesus, the truth of the resurrection, and she knew as she was going into her death that she had nothing to fear. You see, death for Christians is just one step closer to being with God in glory. You see why Paul was so concerned about the Corinthians? If they strayed away from the truths of the gospel, they were cutting off the only hope they had for eternal life. Paul loved them so much that he went over the gospel again with them. And having done that, Paul now holds his life up to them to show the impact that the gospel can have on the life of someone who believes in it. Let's consider thirdly the power of the gospel in verses 9 to 11. You know, Paul was the least likely candidate to be an apostle. So think about the other disciples, the other apostles. They walked with Jesus. They lived with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They heard him teach. They were with Jesus for most of his life. But Paul, when he was saved, was a persecutor of the church of God. In fact, when Jesus appears to him, Jesus makes it very clear that Paul was his enemy. Not just an enemy of the church, but his enemy. When he says, why are you persecuting me? But Paul was also the apostle who was untimely born. He's the only apostle that Jesus appears to after his ascension into heaven. But this encounter that Paul had with Jesus transformed his life. It was radical conversion and radical transformation that happened in Paul's life. Paul went from killing Christians to being willing to be killed for Christ. You know, and this change that Paul wants the Corinthians to know shows the power of the gospel in the life of someone that believes. It shows the grace of God that can radically transform the life of a person who puts their faith in him. The appearance of Jesus from the dead to Paul was like a resurrection from the dead to Paul. Paul went from being spiritually dead to being alive. The, in an instant when he saw Jesus. And what Paul is doing here in these few verses is, Paul is holding up his life as an example of the grace of God so the Corinthians can know what the gospel can do in a person's life. Now notice in verse 10, he says, he worked harder than the other apostles. Now why does Paul bring that up? Is he setting his, is he, is he showing his life as being better than the other apostles? No. He's very quick to point out that it is the grace of God. In other words, Paul is 
even using the good works that are happening in his life to show that this is simply because of the grace of God that has come to his life by believing the gospel of Jesus. You know, and friends, we can know that that is true, not just for Paul, but really for everyone that has believed in the gospel. The same grace that was at work in Paul's life is at work in the life of everyone who is a believer in Christ. And that means every one of you who has put your faith and trust in Jesus, the same grace that was at work in Paul's life is at work in your life as well. But sometimes we forget it. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul prays many things for the Christians in Ephesus. But one of the things that often stands out to me in his prayer here is he prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power to them. The same power that God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's saying that the resurrection power, the same power that God worked when he raised Jesus from the dead, is now at work in the life of every Christian. Friend, is there anything better than that you need to hold on to the gospel till the very end of your life, to devote your life for the sake of Christ? You know, oftentimes a question that Christians ask is, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm saved? Well, a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Christ. That's it. But this faith is a faith that works. It results in good works. It results in hard work that pleases God and brings glory to God. See, the fact that someone like Paul, considering his previous life, can now think about it even giving his life up so that people around the world would come to know Jesus, he's saying is evidence of the grace of God that is at work in his life. See, that's why in verse 10, he's confident that God's grace toward him was not in vain, that, he's not, that he's, his belief, his faith is not in vain because he sees the outpouring of that faith in good works, in hard work. See, this is also how we can know that the grace of God is at work in our lives. You know, friends, we should know believing in Jesus produces radical obedience to Jesus. Believing in Jesus produces radical obedience to Jesus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Why is it that Christians should obey, work hard? It is because God is at work. So when they work, they can be encouraged that God is at work in their life. But you see, it's only those who have trusted in Christ that can obey Jesus. So if you are in Christ, work hard at obeying, obeying God. Work hard at loving Him. Work hard at living a life that brings glory to God. And when you see fruit of faith... When you see evidence of genuine faith, be encouraged because it's ultimately not you, but the grace of God that is at work in your life. You know, we haven't gone through the whole chapter, but at the end, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul says to the Christians there. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, Paul is saying, basically, hold fast to the gospel, endure till the very end, and abound in good works, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, there is nothing more encouraging for our faith than to see fruit of faith that we see as a result of the grace of God at work in our lives. So when we choose to be holy, even if it means we lose friends, or we battle sin, even when the world around us is telling us to give in, or when we make choices to honor the Lord rather than simply further our ambitions in our career, or when we give sacrificially without giving any thought to the cost that it would be to us, or when we spend valuable time and energy, even on days when we are tired, to spend time with each other, to help other brothers and sisters in Christ in practical ways, to pray for them, to encourage them, to read scripture with them, or when we choose to share the gospel with those that we are afraid of, or when we choose service to God over our own comfort, we are showing that the grace of God is active and working in us, and it is showing both us and the world that we are being saved by the gospel of Jesus. Friends, in closing, let me just say, ultimately, it's not our works that save us, but it is the grace of God shown to us in Christ that saves us, sustains us, keeps us till the very end, prepares us for the day that we will meet Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He appeared to so many so that we can spend eternity with him. If we hold fast to the gospel, we can rest assured that we will be brought safely home. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gospel that we have received. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we read and hear in the gospel that despite our sin, despite the fact that we deserve your judgment, you loved us so much that you would send Jesus to die and rise from the dead and give us so much evidence for the fact that he has accomplished everything for our salvation, everything that needed to be done so that we can be reconciled to you and be forgiven of our sins and be with Christ for all of eternity. God, we thank you that we know this. We pray that we will continue holding fast to this gospel till the very end of our lives. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.